Hi, I'm Sonia. I'm Sapna. And this is Loudmouth Lurkies. We're going to start off this week's episode with a content warning. In this episode, we will be discussing issues of domestic violence and abuse. We'll be weaving in statistics, anecdotal evidence, and cultural narratives that set up this issue of domestic violence in South Asian American communities. So I actually have a lot of interest in this area as I took an Asian American studies class the fall quarter of uh, of 2018, last year, um, and I wrote my big paper of the quarter on domestic violence, specifically gender-based violence in South Asian American communities. As I thought, not only have I seen a lot of families uh, been impacted on it, like on a personal basis, but I'd known that there are different cultural aspects that make uh, South Asian American communities very prone to domestic violence. Jordan and Shreya Bandari did a study that showed that though the lifetime occurrence of domestic violence in the U.S. is 20%, the lifetime occurrence within the South Asian American community reaches 40% for physical and sexual abuse and more than 50% including emotional and psychological abuse. So I'll jump in here. My mom is a survivor of domestic violence. Um, we all grew up, my sister and I grew up um, in an abusive household. My father was physically, emotionally, verbally abusive to my mom, me and my sister. Um, and so I guess as Sapna shares, you know, the research she's done on it, I'm going to kind of jump in and share my own experience of what I've seen um, and kind of how it relates to the evidence that she's bringing up. Sure. And another aspect of, of just how common uh, this issue of domestic violence is, is another uh, South Asian American community uh, in Michigan was surveyed and they found that something like 54% of women face domestic violence or knew someone that experienced it. So it's not like this isolated issue that happens, you know, once every uh, like it, once every blue moon. It's something that happens quite often. And there's so many barriers, both institutional and just social, that kind of uh, hinder and prevent women from speaking out and seeking help. And some of these uh, big barriers were shame, fear, uh, family honor and, and family's reactions, effects on children, financial limitations, and a lack of legal knowledge on a more institutional level. Definitely. And I can say that, you know, my mom, when she, she'd married my father, I was born in India, and then the three of us had immigrated to the U.S. And uh, from speaking to her, like, I found out that when I was very, very young, um, before my little sister was even born, she had thought about, you know, leaving my father. But at the time, you know, I don't think she had a job at the time. Like, she had an education, but she hadn't gotten a job here in the U.S. and was still um, 
you know, my dad was the one working and she was taking care of me and she didn't, again, have legal knowledge of how to seek out getting a divorce or even the financial stability to do so, right? And at the time you have like a three-year-old child, you don't know what to do. You don't have any family in the U.S. The only family my mom had was my dad's older brother. Yeah, and I think there's just so much, not only, like we, I think it's easy to think about the, uh, kind of the social aspects of it you know it's like okay uh like divorce is seen as stigmatized or uh you don't want to be the person who's the you don't want to be the the loud mouth you do yeah you don't, you wanna don't be... want to be the one breaking up a family and yeah that was something that came up a lot because yeah. when I was in then when I was in eighth grade my mom tried leaving again and at this point again she had a job you know but um this comes in the territory of being married to someone who's abusive or living with someone who's abusive. My mom worked for my dad's company. So my dad had control of her income, her passport, her phone, her car keys. So it really was dependent on, she couldn't leave, right? She couldn't leave because not only is there domestic violence and like there's the stigma and like not wanting to leave your kid, but then also the person who is committing these acts of violence is probably most likely in almost all the situations a very manipulative person. Just like having a lot of control and say and knowing what the other person's doing at all times. And that's why I think when we talk about this issue of domestic violence, it's really important to understand the institutional things that hold people back too. Uh, like you can't, you can't just leave a family if you don't have any financial means to survive on your own. And so when we talk about resources near the end of our uh, episode today, we'll be kind of tying into the more institutional barriers that can hold women back from speaking out and some resources to kind of combat that. But like we were talking about earlier, some of the reasons as to why um, this issue comes up a lot in the South Asian community is because of the South Asian perspective and the South Asian image of what a woman looks like, you know? So, uh, there's the whole, um, based on religion and culture, all of those, uh, pieces of evidence that show that women should be feminine and virtuous, traditional, nurturing, obedient, all these sort of viewpoints of what uh south asian women should look like often kind of render them submissive and quiet yeah and i you know i know from talking to my mom like after she got married to my father it wasn't that she thought she deserved any of the any of the abuse it was that she didn't think there was any other way of living and it's this established like oh it's fine that like, not that it's fine, but it's kind of like an understood norm that this is how things will be. Yeah, it's it's like, okay, to be the perfect woman, the perfect mother uh, is to be the perfect wife and to be uh, the person who holds the family together, who's the glue. Uh, hold, yeah, and it's like, not only are you supposed to be submissive, obedient, uh, but you want to stick with your husband. You want to be the person uh, who shows like filial uh, piety, uh, collectivism, all of those important values that are South Asian community. So ingrained in yeah. the South Asian culture. Oh, totally. And also like, so not only was it that my mom was, you know, thinking that this was just the way of life, but also when I was growing up, I was in the room when my mom, when my mom's mother-in-law, so my dad's mother, came and told her that, like, 
it's fine. Just let him do what he needs to do. And it's this generational, like, I guess just letting it happen and just kind of accepting that this is the way things will go. I remember when I was doing a lot of research on this, one of the terms that came up a lot was cultural chauvinism. Mm. Kind of like, well, it'll happen. You know, it's it's a way of life. It's something that everyone has to go through. So you kind of just have to let it be. And that I, that is something I think that's interesting that you brought up, that cultural chauvinism, misogyny, all of those things that are often huge markers of domestic violence, they don't only impact men. They don't only impact, uh, like, the people who are committing these acts of domestic violence, but it impacts everyone. It impacts families of those involved. It impacts the women. It impacts the children. It's something that has such a stronghold on on family life uh, for South Asian Americans. Yeah, and then you look at what is the, you know, how do you counter being in an abusive relationship? And then you think, okay, well, then the woman needs to leave the husband. Yeah. And the reason that's so taboo in South Asian cultures is because divorce is not accepted. And when my mom was finally trying to leave for the last time, like, I mean, even the second time and the, the third time was the last time, but... The amount of people that came and told her and told us to, like, try and make it work for the sake of the family yeah, was absurd. And this idea that, like, um, that like oh, no, you can't get divorced. Like, what about your family? Yeah. What about your family? Yeah. And I'm like, what kind of family exists where you're where the dad is beating the mom and the kids are watching and the dad has absolutely no regard for the children. Like, that's not a family. And that's, like, the quintessential collectivist nature of Asian culture. You know, it's, like, it's the culture, it's the community over the individual. Oh, absolutely. And, yeah, just... I've also just seen the taboo of, like, my mom being a divorcee. Yeah. And how that's taken, like, I'm... She's the happiest she's ever been. Yeah. She is the most successful she's ever been. My sister and I are so, so grateful to live with our mom. Um, She is the reason we are where we are today. Uh, She takes care of everything and she takes care of us. And we are so, so grateful for her. Um, But I still see how people look at her when they find out she's divorced or how people look at me when I say that like my parents I don't live with my dad or I don't speak to my dad and isn't that so interesting because American culture divorce is a lot more normalized well see that I think that's why it's so look it's looked at weird weirdly right like when I tell a brown family that my mom's divorced or they're like oh what do your dad do and I'm like I don't know I don't live with him (laughs) yeah I'm like I don't speak to my dad um, and they're like, oh. Yeah. Like they're it, like, what? Why? There's something wrong with your mom then. I'm like, yeah. no, my mom's pretty great. Thank you very much. Yeah. Like, I don't know. I was thinking about it. And it like, it kind of ties back into, you know, our other episode of how Indian parents look, or they see parents look at um, other families when they're looking for partners. Yeah. For their kids. And how family values come into play. Yeah. And I can 100% guarantee you that if I was to be looking for an arranged marriage, like, the status of my parents' marriage would be, I guess, like, a mark against me. Hi, everyone. Hope you're all enjoying this week's episode of Loud Mad Lead Keys. I wanted to briefly tell you about a really cool service that Sonia and I both discovered recently. 
The Katra Box is a seasonal subscription service catered to South Asian American women and made by South Asian American women. They curate products from socially conscious and environmentally friendly brands handpicked specifically for women just like us. Aside from the subscription box, they are also very vocal on their Instagram about destigmatizing taboo issues in the Desi community and creating a safe space for dialogue. If you want to learn more and sub- support women-owned and minority-owned businesses, which Sonia and I are both big fans of, you can find more information on their website at www.thecothrobox.com and on Instagram at thecothrobox. Yeah, like, I don't know. It's, it's so weird to think about how that whole collectivist... See, this is where, I, where it gets a little hard for me to understand because I understand the collectivist nature of, mm-hmm. like... Asian society like I get it and I think that mentality does bring about a lot of good things oh absolutely uh it brings about uh compassion and like selflessness and all of those things but in the same regard it brings up this this kind of unhealthy justification of oh like you can take you can withstand domestic violence because you want to keep your family together yeah and I think that's what I think that's an issue that I see with the institution of marriage in general and how it's been (laughs) understood over time as like this burden upon a woman and, um, in a heteronormative, very heteronormative sense. Yeah. Um, because like we mentioned in the other episode of sexual assault and, um, violence against women, this does not only occur to women. Yeah. Domestic violence does occur in the situation where the victim is male or transgender, um, and by no means are we trying to exclude that yeah, at all. Yeah, totally. would like to recognize that. But in the very heteronormative sense of the institution of marriage and how it has been understood over time, it is something where the woman is meant to take the brunt of, yeah. you know, the issues. And I think another interesting thing that I came across was being Asian American women there's already this, the model minority myth that plays a role, you know, like, uh, this group is very successful, has their stuff together, uh, has like achieved what it means to have American success, whatever, whatever. So at the same time, the whole, okay, South Asian women are obedient. They're submissive. They care about their families. They are the glue that keep the, keeps the family together. That along with, they also come from the model minority they are the quintessential um, like a perfect quote-unquote family that works hard that achieves well all of that together very much limits others perspectives of South Asian American families because I've heard so many people be like yeah I mean these marriages and families seem like they work because the divorce rates are so low but like you said there's all of the there is a reason behind divorce rates being so low it is taboo yeah there is no way I don't know how my mom would have done it if we didn't live in this country yeah I don't know if she would still be in the marriage with my father or if um she would have been able to divorce him yeah and And like it's it's so tough because not only is it hard for people to get out of these relate these toxic relationships but it's even harder to seek help especially when there are those institutional things that hold people back. Um, There was the study in the American Journal of Public Health uh, by Raj and Silverman, and it showed that only 11% of South Asian American women who reported domestic violence 
actually received any sort of counseling support services or generalized help. And keep in mind that this is only out of the people who reported domestic violence. Yeah, because also keep in mind, like, if you are a woman in a South Asian family, the likelihood of you reaching out to police is very, very, very low. Especially, one, especially if you don't have any family in the U.S. with you. Two, if the majority of the family that you do have is on your husband's side. Um, Three, if you have children. Yeah. Right? And so I'll speak to my experience. The police never helped us. Yeah. Like, the police had been called once they were called on me and my mom, uh, which was a fun experience. (laughs) But also when they were actually called, like, in the situation where you're partner is manipulative and abusive and has a lot more financial power than you the likelihood of you getting helped very very low and I think what we've done as we've kind of discussed this issue amongst us and and found what we wanted to make this episode about and and why we decided to talk about it is kind of just once again to raise awareness and, and to show that it's a complex issue that affects Uh, different populations in different regards but specifically our population in such an interesting way um so So there are some amazing nonprofit organizations that do focus on of course domestic violence and abuse in the u.s but i think we wanted to really narrow it down to organizations that focused on south asian women who are facing these issues and my three is one that i have personally volunteered for um my mom volunteered for them and that's how i know about them um, but it's a free, confidential, nonprofit organization based in the San Francisco Bay Area that primarily helps families and individuals from South Asia. So, you know, Afghanistan, Bangladesh, Bhutan, India, Nepal, Pakistan, Sri Lanka, the Maldives, like all of these areas. Um, f- individuals and families who are facing from these areas who are facing domestic violence, emotional abuse, cultural alienation or family conflict. And what I love about my three is that they not only have, you know, amazing volunteer engagement and outreach and prevention programs, but they offer services like legal advocacy, counseling, housing, and economic empowerment, which are all, you know, institutional obstacles that we yeah. were talking about earlier. I think another amazing uh, Bay Area-based organization that uh, I've been privileged to kind of see the power of them is Narica. So Narica, uh, once again, Bay Area, uh, their mission is to promote women's independence, economic empowerment, and well-being by helping survivors of uh, intimate partner abuse and violence or, or domestic violence with advocacy, support, and education. And so this organization was founded by Desi immigrant women who decided that, you know, the cultural implications of domestic violence in South Asian American communities had to have a different way of solving the issue. So they decided to have more informal familial models of service uh, in which people were not regarded as victims, but rather as like sisters, you know, they're family members and they're not clients. Uh, They have volunteers who speak in different languages in order to make the women feel uh, like they are at home and that they can truly find a family within Narica. And so this organization also offers various support programs um, like workshops. They have this program called SEED, which is self-empowerment and economic development. It helps women uh, like 
fill out their, or make the resumes, uh, fill out tax forms, and all those sort of things that you might not know if you're in an abusive, uh, abusive manipulative relationship where you didn't really have that much financial uh, and, and legal power. And then there's another uh, program within Narica called HEAL, which is Health Enrichment and Access to Life Skills. And so this is another uh, program within Narica that helps people on a more holistic level uh, reintegrate and uh, get back out there. So these are two Bay Area-based organizations. But once again, reminder, regardless of where you are, uh, if you're in America or abroad, uh, please look out and see if there are any organizations like this that are able to help you. And I, we'll definitely be posting some on our Instagram story after this episode airs. So yes. check it out. Um, but thank you so much for listening and, you know, for allowing us to use this platform to talk about serious issues as well as lighthearted issues. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of Loudmouth Lighties. You can catch us next week on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Anchor. A huge shout out to ZHK Designs, DJ Nubia, and The Katra Box. Rate and subscribe to our podcast, follow us on social media at Loudmouth Lurkies, and shoot us an email. We'd love to hear your thoughts, and we'll see you next week.